This is a Study Salter podcast with Emma Pratt. This month, we're talking with Jeremy Harmer, popular ELT author, practitioner and trainer. Jeremy has taught in Mexico and in the UK, and he's trained teachers and offered seminars all over the world. He is the writer of both course material and methodology, and author of many popular titles, including How to Teach English and The Practice of English Language Teaching. He has also written many graded readers and is the faculty member of the MAT Soul at the New School in New York. What interests me personally is that Jeremy is also a musician and spoken word performer. With colleague Steve Bingham, he has toured the show Touchable Dreams and is a regular performer in folk clubs in and around Cambridge, UK, where he lives. His children's Oratorio, Island, premiered in 2015. If you ask any artist, musician or athlete if they were good notices, they would tell you that they either considered themselves to be so or were immersed in a lifelong journey of becoming so. I am a teacher and teacher developer, but also a practicing artist. I'm a painter, and so noticing and observation skills are what help me as an artist to see. Or take an athlete. An athlete will do their best training when their mind is present in the action. Capturing. This is what Jeremy Harmer calls noticing. While writing material for a course book recently, he came across the Namib Desert Beetle. Being a reflective sort, he has observed how it has evolved with the tools to capture vapour on its wings in the seemingly waterless desert. As the, the clouds passes by, it passes over its body, and with special kind of whatever material its wings are made of, some of the vapour, some of the vapour sticks and sort of goes down its body and turns into little water droplets and and then heads into its mouth. And that's how the Navi Desert Beetle survives. Mm. It literally catches the fog. Now researchers in Chile are replicating this to increase water resources in the Atacama Desert, the driest non-polar desert on Earth. They're using this technology to provide precious water for farming and native vegetation. Given this metaphor, Harmer asks the question, what capturing equipment are we helping our students to make to become capturers of language? One way of doing it is simply with any text to say, you know, how many verbs can you find? Or how many, how many examples of this can you find? How many examples of that can you find? What do you notice about this? Have a look at this, have a look at that. Mm. Um, uh, and especially where it's written, give them time to do that. Get them searching, get them looking. Now, we've often done that. But the thing that really interests me is is, uh, is to then say to students something like, um, okay, uh, now if, if you could, if you had to choose two or three phrases from that text to put into your suitcase and take away with you, which ones would you choose and why? Mm. All of those little techniques are all about training students to be their own language catchers. Harmer argues that time spent on this, other effective factors aside, would surely have some subconscious effect on the way language learners approached language learning. To be present and focused is hard. 
possibly harder to do in this age of media-driven attention deficiency, as we call it, where flicking through our Facebook feed has become a tick. Let's face it, how many of us in the morning wake up and the very first thing we do is fire up Facebook? We glide over updates and we're entertained by cat videos and we put our frowny faces on political posts. I mean, I found myself clicking like on a friend's artwork and I'd only seen it for half a second. I mean, what is that? Take it from me as a farmer's daughter. If you want to know what noticing is really all about, spend time with a farmer. I want you to picture a farmer for a moment. He's standing there out in his field for some time alone. He's apparently doing very little, but actually he's doing quite a lot. Checking weather, observing grass growth, grass mixes, and other plants an untrained eye wouldn't even notice. He'd be observing the soil, or watching for the presence of water, or lack of it. He'd be observing animal health, in our case, sheep, the coughing you, the limping you, the one who'd been sitting a little bit too long, and he'd be forming the right questions to ask and coming up with answers. Any farmer will tell you that farming is a lonely job. But this solitude is a blessing as well as a curse. Solitude forms part of the ecosystem that sustains reflection. And it happens infrequently for many people today. As one of our Perth-based teacher trainers, Anthony Atkinson, wrote recently in his blog in response to the words of Professor Tom O'Donoghue at the launch of his 25th book, Understanding Contemporary Education. They both were observing the need to provide a right environment for noticing to happen. And that sometimes requires us to be alone, or at least alone in our thoughts. Giving room for noticing to happen means giving learners space to think much like the solitude we were talking about before. This is especially tricky in today's world, as I've just mentioned. We're all getting lazy. In fact, if you made it this far through the podcast, you're doing well. Thumbs up. Giving our learners the answers instead of letting learning breathe and grow in the silent spaces cuts into an organic learning process that is deeper and far more solid than spoon feeding. Jeremy Harmer observes that one of the best uses of our time is to train our learners to become better observers. One of the greatest things you can ever do for a student is train them to listen. And, and I'm not talking about listening skills here, because I've got mixed feelings about skills. But just training them to be aware, to be aware of what they hear, aware of, of the words they hear, ready to, ready to kind of, um, you know, if you say something to me, then... Maori, if I'm a beginner Maori, it would be great if I would get so excited that I would pick up that phrase and kind of put it in my mm. in my case and take it away with me. And it's from those little things that the noticing develops. We are poor listeners, let's face it. I mean, how often have you simply waited for someone to stop talking so you could speak? I know I have. And, and think about it, how many nods and verbal fillers do we use by default when we listen? So what can we language teachers do about this? Harmer has been changing his ideas about how we have been teaching listening. Our traditional um, approach to listening is to ask people comprehension questions. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm very taken with, more and more taken with the idea of retelling stories. Mm. And that one of the greatest things you can do for students is have them listen to stories, get engaged with stories, 
and then retell those stories as many times as as is bearable but, um, from different points of view uh, from you know looking at it critically looking at it this way that way retelling a story as if you were someone else in the story or from another person's point of view and that that has this kind of noticing function so what we have to do somehow is work out a way of getting students to retell stories but dragging the language from the story into that retelling either to draw their attention to it to show them the text or alternatively to give them chances to note down any words they hear while they listen to the story mm. maybe they listen two or three times compare the, the, the words they've written down with each other so that they have some real um, interaction with the language and the text mm. try to reassemble the text in maybe in a written form to give them time to think about it then retell it this way retell it that way retell it this way and that's another way of, of kind of forcing them to engage not just with content but with the language as well music practice and this is what interests me and that's something I can understand as an artist because training repetition practice and rehearsal form the basis of what we do in our arts practice it helps us to produce better work and to perform better and there is an aspect of language acquisition and learning where we are essentially training our bodies like musicians or artists or athletes to reproduce an action more quickly seamlessly and effectively as an artist, I can rely on years of practice to effortlessly pick or mix a colour, to choose a medium, or to produce a certain brushstroke, or to notice if a composition is balanced or not. Our aim with training is that the brain achieves well-worn pathways for this action, and that the muscles remember what it is. However, the training doesn't have to go on for hours and hours. I mean, we're not talking about boot camp here. In Jeremy Harmer's experience and from talking with other musicians, being aware of what you are doing and how a piece of music is sounding takes a very high level of concentration. And it's something that we just can't keep up for very long. Because what we know about music practice is, is that just hours of practice doesn't happen. Oh. You can practice for hours and not get much better. Well, you'll get a bit better, but you you know, you're not going to get that much better. The only way it works is if you practice deliberately. There's a man called Anders Ericsson who talks about deliberate practice. Well, one of my musical friends and colleagues who's a teacher herself, she says, uh, you have to really concentrate. When you're practicing, you have to concentrate. You have to break things down into their constituent parts. Be absolutely aware of what you're doing so that the practice is, is highly concentrated and highly conscious and, and what most musicians I know say is that practicing for hours is probably not the, what you need to do it's it's a question of short sharp bursts of really concentrated practice are we as ELT professionals able to stand quietly and observe like my father does on the farm do we really listen Let's take another professional sector and look at it. Let's take design, for example. The principle of observation in design underlies and supports everything else, all other principles. It all begins with observation. Because observation leads us to ask the right questions. And as teachers moving more deeply into this online social age, 
we need to be employing the ability to be very present and very observant as well. I asked Jeremy Harmer what he felt about the direction of teaching and language learning. Given that so much learning can now happen without the presence of a human teacher, so what was our role and what was our role going to become? Change happens slowly until it doesn't. Harmer uses this phrase a lot as he contemplates our future as language learners and language teachers. All of those things, I think we are challenged by new technology. I return to my original point. I want to say that the essential qualities of teaching and learning will not change. Mm. There may be a shift in there may be a shift in 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 um, in, in emphasis, mm. but it's, you have to challenge every assumption every day. Before we find ourselves well behind the eight ball, we need to brush up our noticing and observation skills and start forming the right questions to answer. And could these questions include, what should a classroom be like? Should there be a classroom? And what could a lesson in the future actually be? And Harmer would also ask, does our pre-service teacher training, such as the CELTA, reflect the future? One of the things that interests me is that, you know, teacher training courses haven't essentially changed much. Mm. I did my four-week course, it wasn't even called the CELTA in those days, I did my, my four-week course in 1971, mm. uh, which is quite a long time ago. But I wouldn't be entirely surprised. I, I, of course, I'm not. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if I did a CELTA today. Jeremy Harmer underlines his argument that the essential qualities of a teacher will not change, but that technology is indeed challenging us to reassess our profession. But one of the problems about getting a good point of view of what is happening is that technology itself has formed bubbles around us. Our friendly little algorithms are only sending us what we want to see and believe. We are forming virtual communes or even virtual ghettos around ourselves. And so the suggestion is put forward. Is it time for the ELT industry to start conversations with vastly different sectors to our own? But first, before we begin those conversations, let us become effective noticers ourselves to find and be clear signals in the noise. You have been listening to Emma Pratt and this has been a Study Celta podcast.